I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 75 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio-Technica. And what a guest we have to celebrate the 75th episode milestone. It's Roger Craig Smith, one of the great voice actors of this generation, in my opinion. Video game fans will know Roger most likely as Ezio from Assassin's Creed 2 and its sequels. Maybe they know him from Batman in Arkham Origins, or maybe they know him as Chris Redfield from Resident Evil series. He's also the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog in the Sonic Boom TV series, a bunch of Sonic video games since 2010, and an appearance in Wreck-It Ralph the Pixar movie, but also the main Pixar villain in Planes, Ripslinger, I could go on forever, really. Powerpuff Girls, Naruto, Bleach, if you're into anime, Ben 10, Batman Ninja, Batman Unlimited. He's Captain America in Avengers Assemble. He really is a man of a thousand voices. He does a lot of voiceover work, a whole bunch of stuff on the Cartoon Network, promo work for K-Rock in Los Angeles, and a whole bunch of retail campaigns as well. So, you know, he's someone that's working very hard to make a living. It was interesting to talk to him and and see it's not just these big roles that he shoots for, but more of the consistent work of the voice actor that he's striving to get and that he's making a consistent living from that, which is really cool to see and get an insight on how he got there and and how he developed a reputation as someone that can be relied upon and someone who will take care of their voice and all these little intricacies that you don't really consider when you look at the life of a voice actor. Roger started out as a comedian, which we touched on, and soon became known for his voices. But through this interview, I found he had a really interesting perspective on everything that he's done as well, and the pros and cons of of working in video games as opposed to other kinds of voiceover, the way that that's evolving with motion capture and what that means in terms of the demand it has on your body and on your time as well as a voice actor with a lot of work options to pick from. But for any prospective voice actors out there, he also had some amazing advice about what it takes to stand out and to become more than just a mimic or an impressionist to someone who can actually create a character or to really give life to a character. If you're listening for the first time and you're really interested in these kinds of voice actors, I did an interview with Anthony Ingruber a few months ago, which I think you might enjoy. He did the Joker in Telltale Batman. And if you enjoy this episode, I'll ask you up front, maybe leave a review of Run Out. I usually read one out every week, but hit up iTunes, hit me with one of those five-star ratings and reviews and I'll give you a shout out in one of the upcoming episodes. But until then, just a quick little spoiler warning at the start of this podcast. We do talk about Dying Light, which Roger was in. And if you don't want to know what happens at the end of that game, when we start talking about the game, skip forward about 15 or 30 seconds. So here's Roger. Enjoy the show. Thanks for joining me, Roger. It's awesome to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for for asking. That's all right. Thank you for for getting up early. I know it's extremely, (laughs) what is it, uh, one in the morning there? It's 7 a.m. So not too bad. Who's up at 7 a.m.? Yeah, right. My gosh. What is on a Monday? Crazy. Ugh. ugh. <laughs> well, thank you. I think I first started talking to you a few years ago when I finished playing Dying Light, and I tweeted at you that I loved the game, I loved your performance, and I think you followed me back, and that was kind of how I was able to get onto you for this. So first of all, thank you for following me back so I could talk <laughs> to you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm glad you that. liked it. That was, yeah. a, that was a really fun game. That was an interesting interesting thing to be a part of, for sure. Mm. That's always my argument when people talk about um, like narr- narrative versus gameplay, and, mm. and I've always been a huge proponent of you can't have weak gameplay and strong narrative and have a have a quality game but you can absolutely have 
you know, weak narrative and excellent gameplay, and people will still love the game. I'm not trying to <laughs> say that that's what Dying Light was, but yeah. but I always say, look, I mean, that's uh, there were some there were some funny elements to the script and whatnot, and and it was a, a you know, it it had its flaws to a degree. But the gameplay is so excellent in that that yeah. you, know, you look at the replayability that people have had for years. So yeah, it's, definitely. Uh, I always use that as a strong example of what interactive art should be. Yeah, that was my favorite announcement at E3. I had no idea that a sequel was coming. I didn't, for some reason, expect that at all. So yeah, yeah, huge I didn't surprise. And, yeah, <laughs> I was surprised when people were like, "Are you in this?" I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> like I didn't even know what was going on. Yeah, uh, I guess that's the way of the part well, of the, that's part how of it the goes. business. Yeah. And I did technically turn into one of the infected at the end of the uh, first one, so I didn't. I wasn't expecting that Kyle Crane <laughs> okay. would be making a return. There you go. Spoilers for a game that came out three years ago. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, enjoy that. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll put I'll put a warning in there for. Okay, thank you <laughs> for anyone. So, let's get into it. Tell me what is a day in the life of a voice actor? Because I guess people probably think big names in the industry have. St- very steady work that probably don't have to audition, but I know that very much from following you on Twitter, that is a big part of what you do. So how does it go like a typical day when you're not actually working on a project in the middle of it? Well, in a typical day, hopefully what you have is a, is a number of different projects sort of scattered throughout the day, hmm. but it's uh, a, a, you are always auditioning. Uh, and even if you're working on a current project, you know, you're auditioning essentially for those folks that are in the room. I've always said that the process is, is so ongoing. It's, it's, it's never ending. You, you absolutely have to scrape and, and keep sort of like trying to find the, the next thing. Uh, I think if you think you're going to sit back and wait for the phone to ring in, in this industry, you're fooling yourself. It has, it has to be that you're constantly out there auditioning. So for me, I'm, I've been very fortunate to hit across a couple different areas of this industry, voiceover specific, in that I can do retail, narration jobs, mm. promos and imaging for radio stations, network promos for TV um, networks, that kind of thing, in addition to video game and um, animation work. On, on my busiest of days, I will typically start off with a 7 a.m. Uh, ISDN session for a retail client that I have that's based out of uh, Michigan. We'll go from 7 to 8. I then hop in the car, get over to Cartoon Network, and do one of uh, a few different animated series that I'm on over there from 9 to 1, typically. On a really busy day, I will do around 1.30 or 1.15. We'll do a, a promo for a network TV promo that I do. Uh, and then you'll go right back to either Cartoon Network or over to another uh, third-party studio to record mm-hmm. another animated series from 2 to 6 uh, in the afternoon then go back home and record all your auditions for the next day uh, in addition to doing what's known as like unsupervised records where you have clients that send you scripts uh, that they don't need to be on the line or do anything like that. They can just, they, they know that you can record from your home studio and you crank out a whole bunch of uh, wave files for them. You post them up on the internet forum and they pull them down and then hopefully by about 8 p.m. I'm cracking a uh, a cold beer, having dinner, and going to bed and getting ready to do it all over again the next day. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, that comes and goes in waves. Sure. But it's uh, that's that's a good, full, busy day for me. But, you know, and along with that comes the, you know, how do you maintain your vocal health through all that and how do you... So it kind of, on those busy weeks, it's a pretty boring life of... I just live in piles where it's like, I'll, I'll get to that pile of laundry later. I'll get to that pile of paperwork later. And you just kind of are, are living for like 
trying to maintain, drink a lot of water and get as much rest. For me, it's all rest. I haven't rested enough in the last two days, so my voice <laughs> is kind of trashy in it the afternoon. So. No, thank you. Yes, no, it's... Uh, but yeah, so that and the the audition process is, you know, you're 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 always on. I I I laugh. I, I made a tweet a while back about people who ask, you know, what do you do? And if you say uh, I'm a voice actor, and they'll always reply with anything I would have heard of, kind of thing. And the reality of the business is that we are only as legitimate in anybody's eyes as anything they've ever heard of. Hmm. Which is why I say you are always auditioning. I, I meet young creators of new animated series who have no clue who I am or what I've done. And the casting director will sometimes say, like, hey, go in and let them know, like, what it is that you do. Because sometimes they don't even know that voice actors have a range. They're accustomed to face actors or on-camera actors who kind of just sort of sound like what they sound like very often uh, and don't really do a lot of manipulation of their voice, that kind of thing. So we go yeah. in and kind of try to tap dance for these new creators and <laughs> say, hey, I can go here and there and you can ask me to do an accent or I can pitch it up or pitch it down or age them up or age them down to all these different things that we do professionally. And so it's, you know, it's an ongoing constant battle to to remain relevant, remain competitive and uh, remain healthy and, and mm. capable. So, you know, and making sure that people know who you are. Yeah. I thought that would be where you just say, I'm Batman in Batman's voice. Yeah, right. And that's it. Well, and then, of course, in the, in our day and age, they would go, yeah, but which one? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it doesn't really yeah. do me much because I'm Batman. It's like, no, no, you're not. Look at you. You couldn't be Batman. So there's, there's that <laughs> element to voiceover as well. Sure. And you mentioned kind of saving your voice. Is there days where you have to come home to loved ones and say, don't talk to me? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and. Man, we just had a, a premiere party of a of a series like three nights ago, and I make it a point to kind of stick around for maybe half an hour to an hour at most, and then you got to go because earlier in the week I had trashed the voice yelling and screaming for different little animated series work, and so I was always co- constantly sort of playing catch up. And then you go to one of these events uh, where everybody, you know, of course they got to pump the music in; it's got to be glaringly, you know, blaringly loud. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then everybody's sitting around talking like really loud to each other the whole night. And you just sit there and say, like, I can't do that for an hour and then yeah. be expected to go do three or four different, you know, uh, jobs with the voice the next day and be ready for those clients and capable of delivering, you know, at least 100 percent. And so, yeah, there's there's been definite times in life where I just say, I can't I can't go to that bar. I can't go to that restaurant. Yeah. I can't go do that thing with you. I'm so sorry. I have to be in bed by 9 p.m. And, you know, and waking up at five so I can get ready to, to be going fast and furious mm. at uh, at 7 a.m. for, you know, retail clients who expect you to be on the ball and crank out, you know, 20 different spots for, you know, legal disclaimers and automotive stuff and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's but it's also I mean, twist my arm. They the phrase has been used golden handcuffs and it's kind of like, oh, boy, it's it's so terrible. Yeah. that I don't get to go out and do all the things I wish I could go do because I have to go, you know, pursue this career that I enjoy so yeah so let's backtrack a little and talk about how you got to that career because I know you started off well I think you started off in comedy was that really the beginning of getting to where you are do you think or would you go back further I would imagine birth birth was probably the beginning let's go from there then yeah okay (laughs) it was a long time ago uh no yeah I would say well actually I will say this I think as a kid you know, there, I, look, there's going to be gifts, I think. There, there are things that people find in themselves that they start going, oh, I didn't know I could be, you know, a gymnast. You know, but all of a sudden I was tumbling around and, you know, it's like my parents went, well, it looks like they got a gift for, you know, um, athleticism or coordination or whatever it might be, right? And 
I know that I was always doing sort of a mimicry and if I was playing with my, you know, dinosaur toys in the background, I'd be, you know, making like, like weird sounds and things trying to like, it's just part of my imaginative process of, you know, playing with toys. And so I think, you know, maybe unbeknownst to me, I was sort of honing things and, and practicing things and doing things with my voice at an early age. And then I started doing, you know, children's theater and, and trying to do the, the more character-y roles that, that forced me to kind of have to put on a character voice or that kind of thing. And then got out of high school, got started going to college and, you know, on, on a couple of friends and, and throughout the years, people saying, oh, you should pursue stand-up and that kind of thing. Um, I went and did that and I contacted my old high school theater arts instructor and said, hey, could could I come by the school? Because this was probably about five years after uh, high school, four years after high school. And I said, hey, thinking about doing this, want to run some material by you because uh, she was always a really great critic of me. And I said, I want to run this material by you and, and see what you think. So I go in, I do it. And it was all observational material. And she, on uh, being so astute, um, said, hey, I can be nice or I can tell you what I think. And I said, tell me what you think. She goes, where are your characters? Said, where are your voices? Where are your characters? You're a character guy. You always, instead of doing what everybody else out there does with their comedy, which is, you know, hey, what's the deal with this? And then you just make jokes about it. She was like, why not become the the butt of the joke so that we as an audience go along on this journey and can laugh with you and that kind of thing. And I went, oh, interesting. She goes, yeah, instead of talking about you know, women you're trying to date or that kind of thing. Why not become one of the women that you're dating and we can laugh along at your pain while laughing at you, but you are the character kind of thing. I went, oh, that's that's cool. So that, that started my foray into character-based comedy. Hmm. And then throughout the years of just pursuing that, I had more and more people within the industry say like, hey, who, who represents you for voiceover? And you should really look into this. And then finally we were trying out for the Aspen Comedy Festival at the Improv in Irvine. The woman that was there to critique us after we did all of our sets, the audience uh, leaves and we go back up on stage and she uh, goes one by one and, and gives us feedback. And she got to me and said, who represents you for voiceover? I said, nobody. And she said, you've got a great speaking voice. You do a ton of characters. You should really look into that. And that's all she said <laughs> about my comedy. <laughs> and I went, all right, it's time for me to time for me to start barking up a different tree. So that was that really is the story of how it all began. I went home, Googled, and started calling different places and trying to take classes and that kind of thing. And that's that's how it got started. And once, once I started getting paid, I never looked back at comedy. <laughs> I went, wait a minute, you can make money doing this? Yeah. <laughs> I like this a lot better than comedy. <laughs> yeah, nice. And I think people like me doing this better than they do doing my stand-up. So it worked that's out funny. well. And you don't have to shave in the morning if you don't feel like it. No, exactly. I'm, you know, it, I, I always laugh. It's like, you know, I, I try to clean up the neck, you know, we'll do a little neck clean cleaning job, you know, and if it gets too bushy on the beard, it's like, all right, I got to go back to, I'll trim this down. But yeah, it, it is a casual job in a lot of ways. And, and that can be sort of good and bad. But um, I often go to work in shorts and a t-shirt. And uh, the reason being, in the beginning, I used to wear like, multi-layered clothing like a button-down shirt with an undershirt and that kind of thing and as you start moving around your clothing makes all this noise mm. and it ruins takes and uh, and so i started kind of just going all right well i'll wear like something a little more casual taking your shirt off yeah yeah exactly right yeah i'm sure that some of the directors would probably love that uh but no so i uh i well and i used to do just that when i wore a uh, like a button down with a with an undershirt i would take the button down off and i thought why am i doing this this is like mm. Like every, you know, after a while, people just kind of—it's a casual side of of the industry, and and um, so I try not to be sloppy. But yes, you can absolutely, you know. The other day we were in a session, and one of the guys was barefoot in his shorts and t-shirt, and we were all just <laughs> laughing, going like, "This is, this is too much fun!" Like you know, getting paid to to do this stuff. But it's like, yeah, 
you know, there's a lot of there's all sorts of different types of people. Some people get really snazzed up, and then you know, as long as your clothing's quiet, uh, that's uh, that's mm. all they care about. So, so once you decided to enter voice acting, what was it that kind of pushed it along? Was there a particular role or anything that gave you your big break or entry from animated series to video games? Like, was there a, a direction that you were looking at going into, or was it just whatever work you could get? Honestly, in the beginning, it's absolutely whatever work you can get. I mean, I was, you know, a lot of people, I think, assume that you're just going to go out and get an agency and that they're going to get you gigs. And and there are some people who are fortunate enough to, to sort of have that be the, the beginning of their career. For the vast majority, I think, of, of, uh, of voice actors, when they start out, it's an entrepreneurial kind of, a, of, of an approach. I absolutely... I put on a, a suit and tie and drove around. I map quested all these different places that had uh, uh, that were like post production facilities in Orange County, California. Um, I found eleven of them online and drove around and dropped off a little CD ROM of you know of my of my quote unquote demo reel. And it was all wrong. It was the wrong size. It was all this kind of stuff. But three of the places ended up calling me and hiring me and giving me the shot. And then from there, you do everything. From I contacted the old pizza place that I used to work at said that, you know, hey, I'd be willing to do an on-hold uh, on message for them. Uh, that turned into me learning how to actually load all, like do all the post-production and load all the audio onto their, you know, onto their uh, phone systems and stuff. And it was like, you know, you were just trying to scrape together 75 bucks here, 100 bucks there. And, you know, every now and then you'd book something larger and you could negotiate a higher rate for something. But it absolutely is, you know, you just sort of start off um, – scraping and trying to run essentially like your own little business and from there if you're good and you are professional and you make you know uh, get good word of mouth in like a local area you can kind of start to branch out uh, the internet makes it a lot a lot easier now um, which is both sort of good and bad because a lot of people can claim that they're voice actors who have zero business being you know behind a microphone yet um, <laughs> but uh, but there's you know it, it, uh, it it's absolutely you got to kind of run your own business. And what happened was I was doing more and more stuff in this local area down in Orange County and a production had come down to do some anime down there and uh, they ended up uh, calling me and saying, hey, you know, this this anime company wants to, to audition you and I came in and auditioned and you make, I think, and I think that's like 11 bucks an hour or something like that back in the day or whatever it was. It was an hourly rate. And you're just happy to have it because like, you're, you're, you realize that every little gig is an introduction to somebody else and they might go, man, Roger Craig Smith was really great. You should use him on your project or, hey, we'd like to bring you on on this or, hey, you should really get up to L.A., that kind of thing. And essentially, man, I'm trying to remember how it happened. I took Bob – I know how it happened. I took Bob Bergen's animated voiceover um, workshop and in that had some good breakthroughs about how to have fun and, and how to be – um, behind a voiceover microphone for animation, which I hadn't really done yet. And at the end of that class, there was a, a, a booth director for Abrams Artist Agency at the time who was auditing the class. That We didn't know that this right. particular person was a booth director. Um, the booth directors direct the actors for all of their auditions at, at an agency. So Bob came up to myself and a, and a young woman after the class and said, hey, that woman actually isn't auditing the class. She's a booth director over at Abrams, and they're looking for younger people who can do animation. She liked both of you guys. You know, do you guys have demos ready to go, that kind of thing? We did, and she took uh, some samples of work that we had done that night in class back to Abrams, and about a couple weeks later, I got a phone call from Abrams, and they asked me to come in. About a week or two after that, I got a phone call, and they said, we're going to bring you on, and uh, the rest is history. My first, my first uh, 
official SAG after a gig was um, doing Runt from uh, Chicken Little uh, <laughs> for the the TV series that was supposed to happen that never happened. That we right. recorded a few episodes and then they end up shelving uh, the whole idea. But uh, but yeah, so ended up getting in doing animation almost lickety split, which is also fairly rare, especially with an agency, because usually the bread and butter of any agency is is commercial voiceover work. A lot of high turnover, that kind of thing, and so a lot of actors start off doing that and then slowly break into animation. And thankfully, I had done enough commercial work prior that uh, I was able to kind of jump into animation relatively early. Hmm. What would you say was the role that kind of made you a name in those industries, if there was one? You know, I don't really know. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know how to say that. I, I would imagine maybe I, I came onto the radar for some folks with Resident Evil as Chris Redfield. Mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed must have been well and truly after that. It was, yeah. It wasn't too yeah. long after that, but it was definitely after that. And yeah. so I would say, yeah, I would say maybe Ezio kind of kind of put us in a in a in a bigger arena. And then, of course, um, in 2013, getting to do Batman, 2010, getting to do Sonic the Hedgehog. But t- 2009 was uh, was Ezio. So mm-hmm. I went from Chris Redfield to Ezio to Sonic and then to Batman. Yeah, it's uh, a good run. Captain America on animated <laughs> stuff and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's a decent run. It's been a very, very, very good run. I cannot cannot complain. There's so many times that I just yeah. crack up going, man, what are you doing? What, what, what is this? How did that happen? So. <laughs> and is it once you've played Batman and Captain America, you're instantly like popular with all the conventions and, and all the nerds that want to meet you and that kind of thing? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, um, you know, I've I've had a couple of different convention requests here and there, and and I don't do a lot of conventions, but m- primarily just because I cannot take the time off of work. Mm. I've I've had a few people say like, "Are you going to come out and do Australia and New Zealand?" And I said, "I'd love to." Um, the the problem I have is is the uh, the obligations to a lot of retail clients and sure. weekly obligations to these promos and retail campaigns, and and it's tough. You have to make arrangements for recording studios and that kind of thing, and. Uh, you run the risk of losing those gigs if they bring somebody else in to quote-unquote cover for you and they happen to like that person better or they just go, you know what, this guy works and, you know, Roger seems to be traveling too much. Why don't we just stick with this guy? So I, I'm always trying to make sure that I'm available. So I, I, I try to do little tiny spurts of local conventions if I can, but um, I'm also trying to wrap my brain around I, I know that now with conventions... It's customary to pe- to have people charge for their autograph, and they sit at the table all day long, and they sell their autograph and that kind of thing. And I've never really been all that comfortable with that, and we're trying to find a way to work around that because the convention marketplace has changed, mm. where it used to be like an appearance fee from the convention. They'd pay you as a reward for being a draw for people that would want to come to their convention. Yeah. So you do business specifically with the convention, and it, it was very simple and clean and you didn't have to exchange money or or, or, or um, take money from people sitting at a table and that kind of thing. So I I haven't really done a lot of conventions. I, I, I'm trying to find a way of working a charitable aspect to the charging for things and still trying to go back to a, a convention uh, appearance fee with the organizers and that kind of a thing so that it's just like, look, this is a little more straight up easier way to do it kind of thing but yeah i never thought yeah, about that so. it's interesting and you've touched on something that i wanted to ask about you do such a diverse amount of work you mentioned the voiceovers and doing tv and radio and call messages whatever it is yeah uh, yeah, yeah so does that mean that when a larger role comes along you have to really weigh up whether it's something you're able to commit the time to so like for example something that involves full 
uh, motion capture performance, something that might take a good chunk of, of time, like a really big video game? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, years ago, my agent and I uh, got together and started started to talk about, I was I seemed to be getting a little bit more attention on the animation front. And, and I said, look, I, this is like, it's family friendly. These things can last a really long time. And, uh, and I said, I, I like the, I, I like the writing. I like the creativity on that side of the business a little bit more than what I was starting to see coming out of the interactive world. And I said, I think maybe we should consider pulling back from, from video games because I'm out there on, on, on one side and some people have said it doesn't matter and they don't care about that sort of thing, but I did. And I still do, uh, if I'm going to go out and be, you know, the mouse character for this loved storybook uh series of, of like if you if you give a mouse a cookie on amazon mm-hmm. if i'm gonna go out and be the mouse and the moose for this children's entertainment series and then turn right around and go out and scream the f-word over and over and over again in a video game yeah. that's bloody and murderous and all this kind of stuff and, and i'm not trying to come off like a saint because i have a mouth like a truck driver when i'm not doing podcasts or on social media that kind of thing but i was saying look i don't like the idea of this sort of duality or mixed message and I said the other thing is they were starting to really take a long time and be very taxing on the voice to the point where I couldn't go do you know uh, other animated work or even just basic you know voiceover work for like promotional things and and retail campaigns because you go and blow out your voice for two you know back-to-back four-hour sessions for a video game and and those video game sessions can be far more intensive than animation because you're usually by yourself, so you're recording back to back to back to back to back. Every line is just one right after another. And very often in an a- animation session, we record as an ensemble cast, so you might have 30, 40 minutes of just sitting there waiting for your scene to show up while you just watch your fellow voice actors you know, record their lines. And even though everybody's there for four hours, you know, you can usually get two 11-minute episodes done in a four-hour booking, um, whereas four hours of, of intensive um, video game voiceover work can involve just a lot of effort with the voice. Um, so we we pulled back, and now we've had a couple situations where someone's called up to offer a certain type of a role or a, a time commitment, and I've had to speak with my agent and say, I, I think we have to, to say no because we just... We can't do this. Uh, you know, I'm going to go in and be unable to work for two days, and for what? To be a part of a popular game? I mean, it's like if if the goal is to run a career and and you know gain income, uh, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by going. You know, we're taking a bunch of steps backwards by not being able to go out and work in the name of just doing this one particular role. Sure. So yeah, it's and that's a lovely. Like, don't get me wrong. That's a wonderful. Again, the golden handcuffs. Co- yeah. You know, comment. It's like. <laughs> It's a wonderful problem to have in life and not in the beginning. I certainly didn't have the luxury of even being able to, to weigh that. I mean, I, I, the first lesson I had, um, I came off a horrific military game where I went in and every take was four, four lines or four takes of, of, of every line. And the, there wasn't a professional director. It was just a, uh, uh, I think a writer or somebody at the, at the company. And they had every actor come in and because it was military, um, they wanted just screaming, yeah. and yet it was so. It was four takes of every line, and the first two were loud, as they said. The third one was what they wanted. I can't remember. It was like louder or realistic or something <laughs> like that. And then the fourth one was what they called balls to the wall. And the reason being is that on that fourth take, they wanted to hear your voice crack because they had they had watched actual real world combat footage of Canadian armed forces 
um, in action, and the guys, when they're yelling at each other, all their voices were hoarse and cracking because they're yelling over, Gun you know, um, ammunition fire and all this kind of stuff. And so they thought, that's so realistic, we want to capture that. So we, all of us went in and, like, blew our voices out, and no joke, as I'm leaving the last session, my agent calls and says, hey, you got a call back on Thursday for um, for a Nickelodeon series. Uh. And I was like, well, that's cool. That's good. You know, that's that's good. And I remember thinking, like, it's Tuesday. Woke up Wednesday. Go to bed. Your voice is, like, you know, completely shot. And I showed up to Nickelodeon on Thursday, and I walked in, and, and it was super high-energy character and, like, lots of woo-hoos and yeahs and all that stuff. And I go in, and, yeah. And the engineer just got on the talk back and said, oh, man, I'm so sorry you're sick. Thanks for, you know, thanks for coming by. And it was like, you can't even try to audition right now. It's like, like, You're like you yeah, are... I'm really sick. <laughs> exactly. And it was like, yeah, I guess I'm sick. And it was Barnyard, the TV series, and Chris Hardwick. They ended up getting Chris Hardwick to do it. And I'm not saying that I had a shot, but I remember thinking, oh, for this one-time video game payment, you know, because you don't make residuals on games, that kind of thing. I said, for this one-off video game, I went in and blew out my mm. moneymaker for them in four hours and missed out on an opportunity to have booked what could have been reoccurring 50 yeah. 60 70 it could have been the next simpsons for all i know you know that kind of thing so it's like those are those are early career decisions that are really difficult for a voice actor to make because the for any actor saying no is like scary mm. as hell you don't want to say no but sometimes you do in an effort to not damage the voice or you know push yourself too far or be a part of something that you feel like is inappropriate you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. And speaking of the diversity in different fields of voice acting, you've also been known to play, as we've touched on, a range of roles from kids, mouses, like yep. mouse characters to Batman, which is, you know, I can't imagine more of a contrast between those. What do you think it is about uh, your approach to voice acting that allows you to take on such, you know, chameleon-like sensibility? You know, I I don't know. I don't, I don't because I don't think it's a chameleon like i mean there's some people who i have a hard time hearing who's doing the voice when they change there there's some legitimate yeah. like vocal <laughs> chameleons that are out there you know billy west comes to mind uh john dimaggio has range that people wouldn't imagine nolan north has a range that people don't realize he's capable of um you know troy baker Trav yeah. like all these Travis, I mean, now now I gotta name all now I gotta name everybody because I went down that stupid path of saying someone specific. I shouldn't have done that. I know what you're saying no, though. It's like you you hear um like you hear Troy doing just Troy in a, yeah. in some games, and then you hear like The Last of Us Joel, and you're like, right, is this really Troy Baker? Exactly. Yeah. And Nolan does the same thing. I mean, Nolan, you know, playing Penguin in um, mm. Arkham Origins, and people don't realize that that was him. Yeah, you know, so I don't know if it's vocal chameleon as much as like I love. Characters. I, I like the idea of one of the things I enjoy the most is that it's a collaborative effort. So I can walk in. I think a lot of people assume that you walk in and just tell somebody how you're going to do their voice for them. And there are circumstances where somebody says, I don't know, give us, throw something at us. And so you you, you go and you just say, like, oh, how about this? You know, you try to go do something and they go, no, it's too cartoony or too broad. And you go, oh, okay, you know, how about this? Like, no, it's too gruff. Or, you know, you start playing around. But nine times out of ten, they have a very definite idea of what they're looking for and they'll tell sure. you. You know, we're looking for a gravelly, you know, you know, southern accented, you know, this kind of thing. You start going down that path. Um, but I'm not the one creating the character. They are. They have this idea. And then you hopefully are that that vocal lump of clay that, you, you know, that you can be malleable and they can mold you into what, you know, and you can mold your own voice into what they're hopefully wanting to hear. And so I, I don't know that 
I mean, to, to say a gift is like sounds arrogant, but it's like I think there's just a combination of I don't know why my the length of my esophagus and the way my vocal folds <laughs> you know, flap together. There, there could be this biology element of it because yeah. um, I have some people just go, how do you do that? How do you change your voice like that? And, and I just go, I don't know. I just always have. I just do it. I also don't know how people can draw. I don't know how people can sing sure. the way they do. You know what I mean? It's like some people can just hit notes while singing, and you're like, oh, I can't do that. So I think there's a biological, you know, there's a a, um, a genetic component along with maybe having worked on it and tried to understand about how to manipulate and hold your jaw and, you know, how to breathe and sit and all that kind of stuff that maybe plays into it. But, yeah, I think, cool. I think I'm, you know, equal parts lucky and and equal parts trying to work at it at all times, like trying to figure out different little, ooh, that's a texture to a voice that I should, you know, try to add in. Now I wonder if I could try a funky accent or a weird affectation to it or that kind of thing. So, you know, it's a it's a combination of being blessed, if you will, and uh, and also just trying to work at it. You know, I think a lot of people yeah. don't realize like you can you can kind of, you know, if you ask somebody to mimic someone that they've heard. And they go and they try to do it for a little bit, and then you say, "Do you think you could sustain that over the course of hours in a you know vocal booth?" And if they say no, but maybe they could work at it, maybe you could find a more comfortable way of attempting it. You go, "Yeah, now you're now you're working on a voice. Now you're figuring out that you have the capability of doing something for a character." And it's like, put that in your arsenal. You've just created something new. So it's it's a it's a skill set yeah. that you develop in addition to having the ability to right off the bat do weird things with your vocal cords that some people sort of struggle with so hmm. and, and now you're making me wonder how much time you spend talking to yourself oh tons <laughs> developing for one, I, for one I live alone yeah. so I spend a ton of time talking to myself <laughs> <laughs> um but no I, and and I I will practice things you know just walking around the house you know it's like I'll hear somebody on tv I'll hear a family member I'll hear somebody at you know in line at the bank and you go oh that was such a weird thing that they did you know that person had is like a weird and you just write it down on your phone or say like oh remember this you know or, or try to go do that or sometimes run upstairs and just do a sample recording you go oh interesting you know or, or paying attention to like popular celebrities and what is it about them that they you know that they do that you you could try to emulate you know that kind of mm-hmm. thing um yeah so it's 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 a it's a study of people and character and voices and cadences and trying to to always remind yourself that you're trying to do something different and you know you want to try to you know have a different laugh and have a different delivery style for this character so it's not just you doing sure you know it's like Shatner trying to play anything other than Shatner yeah. it's just like, <laughs> it all has that thing that he does you know where he's always you know doing that thing thing that he does that's so him you know it's like okay uh, if you could be scooby-doo be like ruby you know it's like ruby ruby woo wouldn't work uh so you try to you try to be aware of that that sounds like one of your old stand-up bits it very likely could have been yeah it would have been something i would have done yeah (laughs) great and now i also want to know like for a larger role like say Ezio, right so you start Mm -hmm. off that's a huge game and it became two more games that you were able to do the voice on at least that I know of. Si. Was that something where sorry? Si. Si. It's yes in Italian. Exactly. So that was what <laughs> I was wondering like what do you choose to look further into the accent, what it would have sounded like at the time? I don't know if they were speaking English back then at all even. They weren't. Do you learn Italian? Like do you, is there anything like that that uh, goes into making that more realistic or or what you want it to be? For sure. Um and especially with uh with Assassin's Creed 2. So Ida Darvish 
was my dialect coach on that game. And Patrice Desolet was instrumental in kind of like helping us finesse little like minute elements to the uh, the performance and whatnot. Amanda Wyatt was our vocal director, our voice director on the uh, the recording sessions on that. And uh, and Peter Arpacella became my dialect coach about halfway through Brotherhood and um, through Revel- he was entirely on Revelations. And the way that came about is the audition process. I showed up and Amanda said, hey, they're looking for this Italian thing. And I said, you know, I don't really I don't really know that I'm like, how authentic do you want it to be? And I, and I said, I'm a, you know, the, the story I've always given is I was a huge fan, still am a fan of uh, MotoGP racing. And Valentino Rossi at the time was like, you yeah. know, world champion and, and it was for for years and years and years. And so I would watch all the postgame interviews uh, with Val- Valentino Rossi. And uh, it, it was a very good race. Uh, the bike was very fast uh, into, the, into the, the corners. And it was, um, uh, you know, I like, to, I like to go very fast on the bike. And and I, I said, I can try to emulate that, but that's not a very gruff sounding. And she, you know, Amanda said, no, no, you know, we're actually going to go, if you can do a Spanish accent, we're asking people to kind of go with a Spanish accent and we'll finesse right. it. And she says, we're, we're going to get a dialect coach and all that kind of stuff. And I went, okay, great. So I did like, my my bad Antonio Banderas, you know, world's most interesting man, kind of like, you know, this uh, this voice uh, is, you know, what are they, Nesonex, you know, the, the, the Antonio Banderas uh, kind of a thing. And so we did that, and then they wanted to hear different vocal ranges, like different ages. And so, you know, young Ezio, he says, Father, what's happened? And then we pitched him up, and then we pitched him even lower for, um, you know, again, my voice is shot today, but um, pitched him even older for like, you know, when we were at uh, Revelations. And so they liked the performance side of it and said, we're going to get a dialect coach anyway. And that was one of the discussions early on was what form of Italian would they have been speaking? Would it translate well to a Western sort of audience mm-hmm. video game today? And what liberties should we be taking with the accent in terms of I think we towards the end we kind of called it Italia Italia Spanglinish, um, you know, where it was like it was a combination of a little bit of you know um, relaxing on certain consonants. Um, Italian tends to hit every single syllable and every single consonant, and and uh, in Spanish it tends to be a little more uh, loose mm. and it can be a flower with the things and it doesn't have to be. So we kind of played around with a little bit of that knowing full well that they also weren't speaking English back then. So it's kind of like, you know, that whole thing is an abomination to history. It's a, it's a video game, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's the other thing why, like, uh, you know, and people, I think there are plenty of times that we lose sight of that. And you say, yes, but we have to be able to skew it and have it be something that, you know, I said, because again, if, if Ezio spoke like Valentino Rossi, I, I don't know that it would have had the same effect. <laughs> I don't know that he's 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 an excellent motorcycle uh, racer, but I, I you know I, I, I don't know that uh, very threatening. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that that voice would have been swooning the uh, <laughs> having having the ladies swoon. Uh, so you know, it's mm. uh, it was that kind of a thing. You know, it's like we have to go with what do we yeah. what are we comfortable with hearing, and it's you know it's it's funny. Human beings are very we're very sort of habitual with stuff. Every, every time we get an audition for something that says non-announcery, we don't want announcer sounding voices. We want something very laid back and very natural, very guy next door. And you go, okay, if you ever hear, I mean, the way you and I are talking, it's just kind of like, you know, I'm sort of droning on. I'm kind of monotone. I get this, <laughs> my voice is sort of froggy and hoarse today. And it's like, that's natural. That's thrown away. Well, if you're asking me to help sell a product, you want me to like you know say the all new da da da? It's like I'm gonna sound very bored and disconnected and 
like I don't care. And they hear that and they always go, could you, could you just add a little bit, you know, a little bit more, you know, uh, you know, juice to it? And you're like, okay, okay. So if I was to say the all new putting in work, right? Does that yeah. sound fun? Or, Sounds riveting. Yeah. Exactly right. So then you say, "Hey, could you just, you know could you make it a little again? We 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 want it supernatural, non announcery but you know just a little more energy." And you go, "Okay, the all new putting in work." And I go, "We're getting there. We're getting there. If you could just if you could just a little more energy because we have this music bed that's really energetic underneath it and we want it to sound it." You go, "Okay, the all new putting in work." And I go, "No, no, no, um, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more like the all new putting in work." I'm like, "Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting the, the all new." putting in work and we're like I think that's it I think if you could just really hit us like they all knew putting in work and you go there you go that's what we're looking for and it's like <laughs> we, we've we been listening to people who sell us things and the advertising behind this stuff for, forever and forever and it just there's certain things that just work and sound good and pleasing to the human ear so mm. you know like I say it, it's not a knock on, on Valentino Rossi but it's like to think that you know we have to have this guy be both dangerous, aggressive, and sexy, and all that stuff. So, so we <laughs> you play around, and then you kind of like you know loosen up the Italian accent a little bit, and have a little bit of that Spanish lover kind of a vibe going on. So it's, yeah. that's how that's how we go. That's that's how we that's funny. as humans that's hear great. things. I think like when you when you first said like the guy next door voiceover, I I pictured like or I heard like the Geico voiceover, which was it's it is pally, but it's not that old timey kind of. Is it one? Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you talking about, about the announcer or the talking gecko? The one that's like 15 minutes could save you 15. Oh yeah, 15 whatever. minutes could save you 15 percent or more. Yeah, it's like now. Granted, like even just doing that, it's yes, it's it's kind of natural and it's kind of like a little bit, but there's a musicality to mm. it. Yeah, that is very it's a sing song kind of exactly. Yeah. 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more. You know, it's like yeah. dun, 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 and and there's a lot of like music that goes into this stuff to to ride that fine line. My my agent has called it subtle energy, mm. uh, which I think is a good term for it because there great. is <laughs> you got to find that that relaxed intensity to things, and really yeah. good actors do that. Like, like on camera actors do that with every you know line of dialogue. They make you want to like. No more. Gene Hackman used to be that way. Um, Ian McKellen is that way. Uh, oh gosh, uh, one of his dearest friends, Patrick Stewart. Uh, make it so number one. Patrick Stewart, thank yeah. you, sir. Patrick Stewart. Sorry. You know, Patrick Stewart uh, makes everything just sound awesome, and it's like you know, they, they're, there's a musicality to the way that they, uh, you know, approach dialogue mm-hmm. that that works. That most people, if we're talking about real people, right. <laughs> we we're boring as humans when we talk about stuff we don't inflect right we you know we tend to be a little relaxed or slurry and you know in our words and it's just kind of like, i don't know man i was going to the store the other day and i was just like eh, i'm gonna buy a gallon of milk and i'll come home and i'm like i don't know i'll feed the dogs maybe go outside and like maybe go for walkers and i really don't know it's like you can't do that for a performance <laughs> You could, but you hopefully would do it to to be silly or funny. Yeah. But you know, that's the the so genre mumblecore those those movies. Yeah, so. exactly, right. <laughs> yeah. And there's you know there's there's a call for that kind of stuff from time to time. But it, it's like I always just laugh when they, <laughs> when they say they're looking for relaxed, non announcer. And I go, it's by the time you're done, you're going to be sounding like a 1950s radio spot at some point. <laughs> that's great. It's it's inevitable. Let's just start there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I've mentioned a few games. I'm really obviously into video games. And I feel like for most people who are into them, there's kind of like a dozen or so big names in voice acting. Then after that, it probably have to start thinking about it for a while to rattle them off. So, you know, you mentioned Nolan and Travis and Troy. And 
mm-hmm. I would include you in that group as well, personally. But is there something where once you're in that space, things get a lot easier and gets a lot harder for people outside that bubble to get into the space? You know, I really wouldn't know. You'll notice that like the only type of performance capture that I've done has all been facial motion capture. Um, mm. When I first, when when performance capture first started coming on, I, I started getting these voiceover auditions that, that were asking for actors of a certain height. And I'm a short man, so it was really funny. I would call up my agent and i go, hey, dude, I just read the sides for this. They're asking for actors that are 6'2 and over. And I was like, <laughs> why am I going there? I'm like, you just go because you never know. And it's like, you know, I get there, and the the people are like, "Hi, who are you here to see?" I'm like, "You guys." And they're like, "What for? What role?" I'm like, "The lead." And they're like, "Yeah." So, and I go, "I get it." And I would ask them, you know, like, and and they and back then the technology hadn't really caught up to where it is right now, from what I've been told. But um, the dots, you know, everything, everything, I would mocap like a portly little, like thirteen year old boy. <laughs> it's like at five foot five, I'd be a, I'd be like the penguin. You know, like more than more than Batman. Um, right. And so uh, there is a calling for people who are really good at performance capture. And so you get a lot of these guys that know how the technology works, how to how to perform for the motion capture cameras, mm. um, all that. And so the, there's a there is a niche, I think, for folks yeah. to be able to find consistent work in that. But I don't know that it gets any easier because I guarantee you there's somebody else. There's some other kid. And I've had uh, close you know, casting directors tell me, like, look, we love working with the people that we love working with. But our job as casting directors is to constantly be searching for the next insert your name here. Hmm. And they say, so if you go out and do, you know, Ezio, like you can't just keep doing Ezios over and over and over again. So you got to like, you know, you got to go try find other work or be versatile or, or find another niche or go do something different or remind us why you're good for other projects, that kind of thing. And in the meantime, we're going to be looking for the next guy that could do what you did um, so that it's not, you know, like, oh, here we go. Another game with or another project. And all they're doing is that same voice they do every single time. Granted, some projects just kind of write that way. Like that's. So when I say, like, you know, we had to take Ezio and do certain little things with it because I think that's what the ear becomes accustomed to hearing uh, with certain things. And so if you want to have a sure bet about something, you try to mitigate risk and say, like, okay, well, we should we should try to have it be a little more like this because that's a little more in the vein of what people know. So you'll have certain actors that tend to be very popular and they because they do this thing so well that they get hired and the writing from game to game to game will ask for a protagonist who's kind of snarky and, you know, is a ladies' man. And it's like, you go, okay, yeah, we've done this. You know, like, I wonder if they're going to have brunette hair and a five o'clock shadow, you know, sort of beard and, and you know, have some really you know, smart quips for the bad guys when they show up and that kind of thing. It's like, we've written that way, like an Indiana Jones kind of a thing forever. Hmm. Um, so there's going to be guys who fit that sort of niche really well and they'll, they'll find work in that over and over and over again. But no, I think, um, I don't think I've ever sat back and thought, now that I did this one thing, my life's going to be easier. Maybe sure. it helps to have that that kind of like, you know, notch on your belt to be like, look, I, I've done big games, so you should consider me for work on your big game, but it doesn't make it any easier because they're still looking for what they want. You know, I'd, I'd love yeah. to, to, to think that it's just like, well, now the door's just open, but it's like, no, you got to keep, like I said, you, you're constantly auditioning, and even when you're in that gig, 
you know, I call it the please like me thing where it's like, I want people to like me. I want you to like what I'm delivering for you. I want you to be pleased with the work that I'm giving you and, and have you feel like, yes, Roger's committed to this role and he wants to please us, you know, um, <laughs> and that doesn't, that doesn't ever go away. I don't think, I think the minute you, sure. the minute you think you're done, then I think you, you very and truly probably are, you know, cause they're always out looking for another version of you or they're looking for the next thing. And if you can be the next thing, great. Because that in that way, it does help. Like, hey, we think we want to hire Roger for this role. And if you're up against somebody they maybe don't know, then yes, maybe they're going to go, let's just go with Roger because we know we can do it. Mm. But hopefully if you're that somebody that they don't know, hopefully you're trying to be better than insert whatever form of Roger, <laughs> whoever that Roger may be. You know, hopefully you're trying to say like, hey, I can run with the big dogs. I can be better than you. I, I'm going to be funnier or faster. I'm going to take these strengths and I'm going to... I'm going to outpace you or I'm going to find a niche, you know, that, that you aren't good at or that kind of thing. So it's, you know. That's really cool. I mean, it's not cool, but yeah, it's interesting. Like you you think that, you know, once someone's done an Assassin's Creed or a Batman game that they're made, but I guess it's a fallacy from the outside. It is. Yeah. I think I wouldn't be surprised if that's what people think, you know, and even in terms of just, you know, on camera work, it's got to be the same thing, you know, like the, the, you know, how many times do we see, you know, stars sort of come and go uh you know yeah. it's like well, they do uh, one yeah, big I, tv series and then that series finishes and then it's like what happened to that guy from that right? tv show he's directing indies now or something yeah. exactly i will say like i I've, I've had um a number of younger actors like say that they want to start off doing like you know tv and this kind of thing and i, I, I get it that's great or theater only right and you go that's great but if you go into i have a number of producer friends that will be the first to tell me like when you go into a casting you know, they'll know right when you walk in the door if, if you've got a shot or not because if they've already cast 13 other roles and all of those actors are over 5'9", and you're supposed to be the bad guy and you're coming in at 5'5", five five, or you're the romantic interest and the mm-hmm. the lead actress is 6'2", it's like they might say, like, we just, we can't. You know, like, you could be brilliant for it, but we, we can't. In the voiceover world, none of that exists. It's just, can you sound like what we need you to sound like, and can yeah. you be a gifted performer and a skilled performer? Like, if you can do all that, then then go for it. So I always tell people, like, yeah, like you don't want to get so enamored with the on-camera world that you think, you know, uh, that's where it's all at. It's like, because it can be very short-lived, and if the industry is done with you, the industry is done with you, and it can be really difficult to try to get back in. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can show up, you know, like I've got gray hair and a gray beard and, uh, you know, five foot five and that kind of thing. And I can show up and play, you know, characters that are far younger than I or very different than I. Like, you know, uh, it, it's uh, that's the benefit of the voiceover role is being able to, yeah. if you've got range, you can do a lot of different stuff. So Yeah, that's so true. Unless you're Tom Cruise and then they just make everyone else look smaller than you somehow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just, you know, shooting angles. I know as soon as I said the five, five thing, I was like, eh, Tom Cruise, he's, he's the one exception. He's the exception. But there's a, there's a guy too who really works his tail off. I mean, that yeah. man works really hard at what he does. And that's another element to this where it's like you go, I, th- I mean, I have I know people who are like, I've been at conventions when somebody's come up to me and said, hey, my son wants to do voiceovers and he's really good. And you go, that's great. You know, is, has, you know, is he taking any classes? Like, no, 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 but he he does all the uh, the Simpsons voices. Here, here, here. And they'll bring him <laughs> over and he'll, he'll start doing Simpsons voices. And you go, that's great. Um those jobs are taken. You know, it's yeah. like, I think it's great that you can mimic, but how about you take Marge and Homer and combine them into one character and then give that character a Southern accent with a lisp 
And now you've created a new character that maybe has a different delivery and a different cadence and a style and something that's more unique than just, I can do what somebody else has already done. And so impressions are great and being able to do impressions are great, but it's so rarely called upon mm-hmm. in the business that it's kind of like you go, hey, you got to come up with new stuff. You got to be, you got to be willing to try to do something that maybe you even surprise yourself. Like, you know, don't, don't get into habits and that kind of thing. And, and so there's, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch people like have preconceived notions about the business and the way they think it works. And then finding out that it's like, Oh, it's this. And you go, yeah, it is. And it's changing tomorrow. It's going to be different than it is right now. So, sure. So that work ethic comes yeah. in very, very handy. Absolutely. So what would you say has been the hardest part of getting to the place that you're at now? maintenance of it i guess you know just the, the maintenance of it it's just you're you're constantly like i say you're constantly auditioning and you're constantly being asked to to prove yourself um day in and day out there's there's a lot to be said for going to work and having like you you put your heart and soul into something and usually the 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 response is cool could you give us one more mm-hmm. uh or great could you try it this way or cool um we're going to we've changed our mind we want to do it like this now and you and you have to be ready to go on a moment's notice with new ideas and new attempts and different different tries and different approaches or you're going to get eaten up. And that was that was a big lesson for me to learn in animation in starting out is you walk in like going, man, I've got this brilliant idea and it's going to be so good and I'm going to knock their socks off and everyone's going to be so impressed and you know, it's going to be awesome. And you go and you go like, you know, uh, you know, it, it's like... It, 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 you go in and do this stupid character voice, and they go, oh, yeah, too broad. We're not doing cartoony at all. And you go, oh. And they're like, yeah, we're doing, like, theatrical. And you go, oh, oh. Uh, and if you don't have the ability to go, okay, sounds good, then, you know, you're you're, you're kind of hosed. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I dovetailed into too many things here. My brain is <laughs> farting all over the place. That's all right. It's, it's been a... Uh... A good interview up to then. No. Okay, up to that point. <laughs> yeah. In other words, could you give us one more, Roger? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Thank you for that. But could you could you do it again and not not brain give, fart? Yeah, give me that response again, but more theatrical, please. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, I'm uh, brain farting all over the place, thrown away. No, no, no. What would be your advice to people that, like you mentioned, about combining? impressions or coming up with something original what would be your advice to people and i'm sure you get questions all the time but getting into voice acting or voiceovers the entrepreneurial element is just completely unavoidable i just don't know anybody so lately it used to be when somebody would say like hey um you know how do i get involved how how do i get started and i would say oh go read you know yuri lowenthal and tara platt's book you know, voiceover, voice acting, what it's like behind the VO mic. It's great. It's a great resource. D. Bradley Baker's got stuff on his website that's phenomenal for this stuff. Take Bob Bergen's animation. I would give this advice, and very often I'd see people just kind of go, yeah, but I, how do I do what you do? Like, I just want to go do that. And you're like... <laughs> do it now. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's, it's. I mean, we're talking about our culture. Instant gratification plays real big. We, we like things fast, and we want it now, and we want it easy. And... This just anything worth pursuing or having or obtaining just never seems to go that way. And if it does go that way, then you don't covet it because you didn't earn it that that way. And I think a lot of people feel like, well, what line do I, I've said? There's no line to stand in, no one book to read or that kind of thing. So lately what I tell people is I I say, well, I can tell you this much. You're never going to have my career. And then I wait to see if they get like you know, a little butt hurt over the comment. And then I say, and then I followed up and I say, and I'm never going to have yours. I don't know. I could tell you 
there are resources. The internet is a, is a wealth of information on where to get started, how to get started. But I can tell you exactly everything that I did that got me to where I'm at. And you could try to go do that. But because it's not genuine to who you are or not the way you would do things, it might not and very likely will not work for you. Mm. You have to bring something new to this that nobody else does in some way. We all do impressions and we all do mimicry and we all do weird little things. And this, and it's like, that's great. But everybody's got a weird strength or an ability or a unique texture or quality to their voice or accents or, you know, speaking multiple language languages, uh, you know, knowing mathematical stuff, knowing medical terms. Like there's all these strengths and things that everybody kind of brings into it as a result of who they are, their background and all sorts of things. So I just tell people like whatever your interests are in life, if you have a hobby, absolutely keep pursuing that in addition to educating yourself on this business and then stopping the endless pursuit of a class or a book or you know, whatever it may be. And then if you know you're ready and you've talked to different producers, you've talked to different instructors, that kind of thing, and they say, yes, you're ready for a demo, get your demo recorded and then start pounding the pavement. Like go out and shake hands. It's awkward and it's super, I think people feel like, but I'm not John DiMaggio or I'm not Troy Baker or I'm not, you know, Jennifer Hale. It's like, I'm not these people already, right? Um, so how do I get there? And you go, you don't get there. You start with Googling what town you live in and post-production places and take a chance. Call the post-production place and say, excuse me, I'm, I don't mean to waste your time. I'm very interested in a, in a career in voiceover. I'm just starting out. Can you recommend anything? And you never know what they're going to say. They might go, screw you, kid. You're, you know, you're, you just interrupted a session. Never call here again. Or they might go, oh, that's interesting. Um, where are you based? You know, oh, I'm, I'm based in, you know, this side of town. Cool. Why don't you come on by? We're having a workshop this Saturday. You know, that kind of thing. You never know what you're going to find. It's like, that's how you start. You just have to, it has to be you figuring out your path and your way. And so that's the, the only thing I can think of in, in terms of advice is just like, you, you have to find out how you are going to be the one to pave that path because there's just no one class, one book, one line to stand in, nothing like that. It's like I could give you all the info and tell you what I did. I put on a suit and tie, but that I wanted to be overly formal when I introduced myself because I was also going door to door and driving all over Orange County and interrupting, potentially interrupting a session, you know, ringing the doorbell of a, a business complex where they had a recording studio and I found online and, you know, having uh, next thing you know, the guy that opens up the door was my neighbor in my apartment complex and goes, dude. And I go, dude, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm an audio engineer. And I go, shut up. And he's like, yeah, what are you doing here? I'm like, I came to drop off a voiceover demo. And he's like, shut up, Kim, come in here. Starts introducing <laughs> me to the owner of the place. And he's like, dude, this guy, I know him. He's, blah, blah, blah. he's like my neighbor. And we're laughing. And then all of a sudden the, the owner of the place is like, we have a workshop. And I go, okay, how much? 250 bucks. Like, okay. And I think, Man, for 250 bucks, I'll invest 250 bucks now. I'll take this guy's workshop. And if they like me, I feel I'm good. If they like me, I might make that in three gigs, four gigs, mm. you know? And sure enough, it was one of the very first jobs that I ever got a professional payment from. I got $75 to do all these voices on a training video. 
And I remember thinking, like, I left there, like, after 30 minutes of work going, I made $75, <laughs> you know? It's like, like I can't believe this. <laughs> and then it, they called up, like, you know, two weeks later, hey, we have this client who's looking for somebody, blah, 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 but would you mind coming in? Then I made another $100, and, like, pretty soon you're like, okay, wait a minute, that $250 investment, but it all started from me putting on a suit and tie and going down and driving down. Mm-hmm. It's like, so if I tell you to go out and do that, does that mean you're going to have, you're going to become Sonic the Hedgehog in 10 years? <laughs> I don't know that. So I don't know what... I'm going to say no. Right? <laughs> you never know. You never know. It's it's an interesting accent for the character. We could go there. Yeah. Uh, no. So it's like, I, I try to be as inspirational as I can to people, yeah. but also, man, oh man, I, I, I come across some people like, you know, that father with this kid that does Simpsons impressions. And I'm like, that's great. Those jobs are taken. And we can all try to emulate mm-hmm. that, but it's like, you know... Dan Castaneda is doing it right. Fine, exactly. <laughs> they all are. Holy cow! So you just go, yeah. Those jobs are are are, are taken. Sorry. I, I mean, you know, good luck though. And so there's a there's a weird thing. Like I I'm in counseling because I like to try to like keep working on myself. You know, from from the inside mm-hmm. out. And I had a counselor one time say it's very interesting to to think about. You spend all day long with people who tell you that they want more from you. And so it's an interesting kind of side effect to your business to where you might not understand the stresses involved with you have to be 150% all day long. And so that that kind of a approach is like, you know, I don't think people understand that because you can see right off the bat when I say, hey, you're never going to have my career. I like to look at the people who go like, well, what do you mean? They don't challenge it and go like, well, that's kind of kind of a mean thing to say. Like, you've hurt my feelings and I'm offended and I'm going to unfollow you. It's like, no. I'm trying to like help you understand like it all comes from within you. You have to be the one to sit yeah. there and and find the way. I could I could give you some pat answers, some pat advice right now, but it's not going to make a lick of difference if you don't in within you feel like I'm going to go out and and find a way. It's like mm. it's just no one gave me I was just on Google. You know, I was like Google, animation workshops. I think I called a couple agencies in LA and said, "Who do you guys recommend for animation workshops?" You know, took a chance. You know, it's like, yeah, that's just how it goes. And that's true of anything, don't you think? Like, how did how did you start this podcast? Who who paved the way for you to 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 start this podcast? Yeah, exactly. Like everyone I interview, it's the reason that I pick them is because they've put in work, and it sounds like what you're getting at is it's the product of hard work, regardless of the way that you go about it. It's not going to happen without that. Well, was it luck that you reached out to me and said something flattering? And because I'm such a sucker for that sort of thing, I ended up following you back. <laughs> and then yeah. next thing you know, it's like, you know, but but I will I will also say this, like like uh, for those that don't know, this is the second day that we attempted to do this because I had to cancel on you last minute yesterday and you didn't get butt hurt. I'm sure it was a huge inconvenience and you were malleable with me and were able to like work with me to reschedule and that kind of thing. And it's like you you brought with you professionalism in the way that you approached me for this mm. the way, and that's your efforts, not not to use the term being rewarded it's like you know it sounds like you're so lucky to have me but it's like look that that approach (laughs) no that approach that you (laughs) took is what made this happen and made it happen with everybody that you've interviewed and there's going to be some people out there who just go oh it's just because he's smart or has curly hair or wears glasses or it's or he has better equipment than i it's like no you got to get out of Mm. that mentality of like it's just magic it's like no that like people work their butts like when i say like tom cruise take him take him or leave him if you don't like him that's fine but you will never ever find a way of telling me that that man does not work 
really hard. Oprah yeah. works really hard. Steve Harvey works really hard. These are these are people who are making millions and in some cases billions, but they are not kicking back. Like they they just yeah. they bust their butts. Tom Cruise busts his butt. And there's a lot of people who don't want to bust their butts. Like they just want to know, but I can do this thing. It's like that's great. Nobody's looking for that. You have to let them know you go do this thing. So it's like go and knock on doors and say, I'm here. I, like, I literally would call up certain places and say, I'm local, I'm cheap, I'm willing to work for free for the first gig if you'll just give me the shot because I want you to see that I'm good at this. And, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. that was my own investment in in that going forward was like, hey, I'm going to give I'm gonna give it give it for free for the first one. And if they keep trying to do that, you know, it's like then, then forget them. You know, they're just taking advantage of you. But a lot of times they go, oh, yeah, okay, cool. This guy, this guy knows what he's doing. Let's, you know, let's work with him. Cool. Oh, that's a great answer. Thank you. Very great. Nice and long. Uh, I ramble. Yeah, but uh, it's interesting. I think we touched on some cool stuff there. My last question for you, and I'll let you go, is if you could do anything and know that you would not fail, what would you do? Go to space. Space? Yeah. Space man? Yeah. 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 I think I would like to see this Earth from a few hundred miles up. And if I knew that there was a safe way of doing it and I could not fail, I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> like I'm a yeah. big astrophotography and nightscape photography and just um, mm. backyard astronomy buff. And so I'm always like, like my, like my perfect night is just a night um, in relatively comfortable temperatures uh, out under the stars and being able to see the Milky Way with the naked eye and not have too much light pollution and kicking back with a cold beer. And just, you know, uh, if there's somebody there, it's great because you can have all these deep conversations about all these different things. But um I would love the opportunity, I think, to get out, but I, I also know that it's like, that is, a, that is one of the most inhospitable places that exist in our, uh, in our universe is space. <laughs> and, and it's not a place where humans do well or life in general. Uh, so it, it, to give me the opportunity to go without fail, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would go, I would go to space. I think it would be, uh, a very transformative, uh, experience every every book i've ever read every article i've ever read every audio interview i've ever heard with astronauts as they always say they come back and it changes their relationship with the earth and just Mm. being human in general they you know they all there's a great series on tv right now called um one strange rock it's will smith uh does a great job uh hosting it but it's um they take i think eight nasa astronauts that might not even be all nasa astronauts i think they're some international and they talk about this earth and the fragility of it all and that kind of thing. And then they talk about the perspective and every single one of these astronauts talks about during the day, you look like you look down on earth and you can't tell that people are there really. Like it's, you know, every now and then you'll see some man-made structures that are very identifiable from space, Great Wall of China, that kind of thing. But they say for the most part, you don't see borders and you don't see any evidence of man. There's no lights that we can see during the day. But then at night, it just, it's, it's so obvious, like all the cities and the lights that are glowing and all that kind of stuff. And they say it's really weird to, to see the fragility of this entire thing and understand that everybody is on this one thing and yet we've created all these, you know, these borders and these, these uh, you know, the, the, the fights that we have for our little corner and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I thought, eh, it's interesting to think that everybody kind of has that same shared perspective and boy, oh boy, what, what that would be like to, to look down. They all say the same thing. The minute they get on board the space station or the minute they get on, you know, the shuttle and they're in, they're in orbit, the first thing they want to do is go, go to the window. And look out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that would be that would be my thing. What about you? What's your 
What's your one thing oh, man. without fail? Gosh. I mean, usually people talk about creative things that they'd like to do, and that's usually how I've approached it as well. So Yeah, but it's one know, just for thing in the world <laughs> without fail. I mean, you've, you've got me in the mood for it now, so I'll say the same thing. I'd love to see I'd love to see the Earth from space. Yeah, right. All right. Just I don't, I don't, I don't really want the uh, the training and the yeah. The, uh, yeah, just go for the ride to go there. Just just teleport yep. me there and see what it looks like, and then home again. That sounds great. <laughs> That's it. Well, and this is this was like um, maybe if anybody wants to sit there and and ask like you know well, how do I get started in the business? And it's like I read. Um, I read. I listened to Mike Massimino. He was a former shuttle astronaut. Uh, Mike Massimino's audiobook. It's literally called Spaceman, and it's phenomenal. He's a very unassuming NASA astronaut. He's got kind of a thick uh, East Coast accent. I want to say New York. I can't remember where he grew up, but I, I know it's, I forget which neighborhood. But I want to say it was something where uh, I can't remember if he's Long Island or something. But uh, I don't think it's that. But um, <laughs> and he he jokes about it and he's really just a very endearing guy but he talks about all of the resistance like how many times he was told no and how many times yeah um that it was like mike you've got this degenerative thing with your eyes and you have to have like 2020 vision because you can't wear corrective lenses up there that kind of thing he's like you've got this thing going on with your eyeballs and so you can't uh you can't go on the shuttle, you know, we're, we're, we're shutting you down. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, he, he thinks his career is over. He thinks his opportunity to get on board a, a shuttle mission is done. And so he thinks about giving up and then he digs a little deeper and he finds there's, Oh, Oh, there's a surgical procedure that's, you know, that can be done in Cuba. <laughs> it's like, and all the astronauts go down there and get it done. Or you know, this kind of, it's like, he, it was always about, and this, this starts out with him. How do you get into the college that he, that he wants to go to. How do I go to MIT? Because I got to go to MIT if I want to be thought of, you know, seriously for engineering. And then once I'm in engineering, what do I do from here? How do I get to NASA? You know, how do I how do I get the attention of the people at NASA so that I can get on a shuttle mission? It was always, and all the setbacks and constantly being told no and how many times he was able to overcome. And the next thing you know, he's on, you know, the shuttle mission that, that, that repaired Hubble telescope and it was this big historic thing. And for anybody that thinks that you know, that you can get through life without having to put in effort, that it's just going to magically happen. Like, you're fooling yourself big time. You know, if you're going to ask ask that girl out on a date, if you're going to go get that job interview, if you're going to try to figure out how to go do this thing, it's like it all requires you at some point having to pony up. And what's really weird about what we're doing now in life is that, you know, I want the app or the pill or the line to go stand in, and I don't want to have to put in any other work. And it's like nothing, nothing worth having, including a, pursuing a career in voiceover or starting your own podcast. It all just comes down to it. at some point you got to have the bravery to put your neck out there and hopefully it doesn't get cut off. But say, hey, this is my art. This is my contribution. This is the thing that I'm trying. And, hmm. you know, there's a, there's plenty of people that are more than happy to uh, to try and tear you down. But, you know, if you find a way to keep uh, keep pursuing and persevering and and. Don't pay attention to them and give it one more shot. You might be surprised at where you're at in 10 years. Yeah, it definitely absolutely. worked that way for me where I couldn't believe it. Just kind of going like, I don't know. In the beginning, my mom, who was um, helping support me at the time when I was uh, just finishing up college, and I said, all right, I'm willing to put myself into further debt to pursue this one thing because I'm hearing more people say I should look into this. And it was like, well, how much do you think you're going to earn? I'm like, I have no idea. It's like, what do you think, what do you think people make? 
at, you know, and I go, I don't know. I have no idea how much people, I, have, I don't know what contracts are. I don't, starting out, I don't know how much to ask for, you know, that kind of thing. And it was just like, okay, well, you know, it's like, <laughs> go figure it out. You know, it's like, and off you go. And I, that can be very scary for a lot of people because we, we all like to have answers and like be right and win. But man, oh man, anything worth having or fighting for doesn't start off that way. And if it did, then you're not going to appreciate it, and you'll you'll very likely not end up even, you know, continuing with it. You know, it's like if it comes too easy. That's it. You've managed to turn going into space into the topic of the show, which is great. Yeah, Thanks perfect. Yeah, you got to put in the work. Yeah, yeah. It's like exactly. that's really and truly what it is. So good on you for uh, for having an aptly named. And apologies on on I, we didn't even discuss this <laughs> prior. I was like, oh yeah, what show am I on? What are we doing here? Um, no, but it's so, so true. Good. And good for you for, you know, yeah. for letting people know. You know, it's like, that's just how it goes. I wish I could tell people. It's that's like, it. yeah, do this one thing, but it doesn't work that way. Well, next time they ask you for advice, you can give them a link to this podcast. Perfect. And you can say, listen to this. Look at that. See, that's a plug, everybody. That's how he brings it full circle. That's that's hard work. That's well done. That's yeah. very well done, sir. Good good job thank on you. you. Thank you. And so I guess I have to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been a big fan for a long time, as we've discussed. But yeah, it's been great to just kind of pick your brain and hear all these inside scoops. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me on. And uh, and uh, you've got lucky listeners out there. Listen to this guy. He's got, he's got good stuff, good advice. Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. You can find Roger on Twitter at Roger Craig Smith. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review in iTunes that goes a long way to helping people discover the show. And if you really enjoyed the show, you can pick up some sweet putting in work merchandise. Oh yeah, over at 8bit.net slash P-I-W. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. And that's also where you can find the rest of the awesome podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective, your one-stop shop for everything geek and pop culture related. You can follow me on Twitter at Jono himself and until next week keep putting in work